What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Susan Greylock Yusum, and today we're very excited to be speaking with Bio Akumalafe about his book, These Wilds Beyond Our Fences Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home. Dr. Bio Akumalafe is a writer, lecturer, speaker, public intellectual. He is executive director and chief curator for the Emergence Network, a post activist project. And he's host of the online writing course, We Will Dance with Mountains, Writing as a Tool for Emergence. He's co-author of We Will Tell Our Own Story and author of These Wilds Beyond Our Fences, which we will talk about today. And he's also a creator of a new work called I, Coronavirus, Mother Monster Activist, which you can learn more about at bioacomalafe.net. Welcome to New Books, Bio. Glad to be here, sister. Well, before we jump into your book, I'd love to hear more about um, your work. You've done so many interesting things. And um, can you tell us a little bit about your work and your approach and what your um, what your path has been? Um, well, I'm from Nigeria, and um, I was just telling a story a while ago about awakenings, how I was um, brought up in a largely Christian world. Um and how I navigated the world with a map that was true, or I should say a map that was configured to truth, right? Truth as a universal uh, pre-subjective, you know, beyond human quality that is, that is really calibrated to Christocentric values. Um, and then eventually that map started to point me to directions I no longer wanted to go in. It's like this, I was suddenly magnetized to a more desirous field or a different field that was desiring differently. My notions of beauty changed. My notions of what I wanted politics to do and what spirituality was about changed. Um, and so to cut the story short, not that I want to commit such acts of violence <laughs> is um, my, my work is about contending and staying with those sites of trouble. I'm very attracted to fissures and fault lines and cracks and openings. In fact, I consider it to be the prime objective of blackness, blackness not as an identitarian quality, but as a counter-imperial force that is that constantly contends with stability. That's where I'm at. Well put. 
Well, let, um, let's jump into the book, I think. How did you come to create this book? I know it's about fatherhood, but was there a particular um, awakening that made you realize this was the approach to take to get the information um, through that you were you're communicating this book, which we'll dive into? Hmm. You know, this is the second question about awakenings that I'm getting today. <laughs> um, I think, in a sense, the book created me um it, it wasn't entirely authorial uh, like uh, to think things out on my own it, it it was a journey a journey in in um not only revisiting the very alive moments for me the m- first moments i held my daughter um but in really struggling and wrestling with the feelings i had before I became a father in that static biological sense, um, that what world would I leave behind for her? What kind of father am I going to be? Me who lost my own father when I was a teenager. Um, uh, what do I do with this hole in my body? And, and what does it mean to show up for my daughter in these very charged times? And, and so, um, it was stained with the questions. The book kind of met me halfway and um, gave birth to itself in, in some way, perverse way. Um, the, the book is a, not just about fatherhood and um, especially fathering a daughter, but um, home and what home means. And I make a point in the book, and this might be central to the entire theme it's it's a very strong motif in the book is what i'm trying to say that home is always in the middle that home is not a destination and or an origin it's it's a it's the it's the middle so um maybe that answers the question then right before um you jumped on this conversation i did make a note and i wrote what does home mean <laughs> that seems to be the thing <laughs> what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, and I, I think one note to readers of the book, when I first started reading it, I wanted to you know, plow through it. And, I, and then I realized that there's something about the quality of it written as letters that really invites you to pause between the letters and digest it. I even found when I read the first one, I was on a walk and I was talking to you in my head. I mean, it ha- it has a quality of a dialogue. Yeah. And I think that the yeah. form of the letters, besides being to your daughter, which is very poignant, but that that form does invite you to hold that place and kind of tack and try to find that center like letters do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it was and still is a deeply personal thing. I mean, it's the arc of, um, of my life as I see it. You know, it's it's not just where I came from. It's also death and dying and and ghostly appearings and a past that is never done with and how that is is my daughter's legacy and hopefully what that helps her do in a world that is uncertain and yet to come. Yeah, it's so much about father and mother. And you've mentioned your father. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit because it 
obviously it's about being a father and your own father is such a poignant part of this book. Um, what, how did your, can you say a little more about your father was a diplomat and there's a lot to say about him, but, um, how did through writing this book and becoming a father and becoming more of a father, did your understanding change? You know, how did your father become a, Mm -hmm someone that you're almost conversing with. Mm. I mean, he's the, he lingers so much in your mind after you read about there's He's cool like that. Your dad. <laughs> he's cool like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It brought many tears actually. My, if, if I could speak with in very poetic quaint terms about writing the manuscript instead of what I actually did, which was type it out on a computer um, I would say that the pages were wet with a libation of tears. Um, remembering my father wasn't just uh, recalling precious memories. It was about inviting him to be present. You know, it was giving space for a ghost and a ghost not as a uh, figure of, um, you know, the figure down the hall or the horrific, you know, ways that it's, that ghosts are cinematically portrayed. It, it was more about, it was more about acknowledging that the invisible is already threaded through my vocation to be father, to become father. That my failures and their tetherings, you know, their their anchorage, my failures are already, in some sense, a gift. Some things that transcend me, exceed me. And that my best intentions may not pan out. And I have to, you know, look to ancestry, my father being the most um, proximate figure of ancestry for me. I didn't quite know my grandparents. Um, uh, And to contend with him, to stay with him, you know, to make room for him, to be hospitable to not just memories, but his mustache and his smile and his own demons is to perhaps make more room for my own children. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that experience myself, losing my father as a teen. I think there's an interesting, there's the myth of the father and the reality, and it all swirls around and how it moves forward and anchors you. Yeah. I think that's actually almost the, how your book works. I think what it offers, because you, it's, there's this beautiful quality of the of how you manage to take the everyday life or, and mythic and stories and they are all seamless that there's not this that it's almost teaching you how to understand life in that way where there's a seamlessness between stories or myths and what is actually happening moment to moment though Pujo in the driveway yeah. is all the same as you know the past the future and the stories can you say a little more about that. I mean, obviously, that's you've got you've learned how to live in the mytho mythopoetic in a way that I think many of us feel yeah. is a skill we need to recover. Mm. And and we are always the the modern isn't the dismissal of myth, right? It's the it's just a p- performance of different kinds of um, myth, and it's a it's a performance of dismissal, <laughs> not quite a dismissal, but a performance of dismissal. Um, which is which is still cosmologically and mythopoetically um, vibrant. Um, I I wouldn't take full credit for this though because I grew up in a culture where the world 
is, was, yet to be conspiratorially alive, that every morsel of air and oxygen is thick with rumors. You know, it's thick with rhymes and whisperings. We call it aye, and I think I wrote about that in the book as well. Uh, it, it, it's that it's that nothing is ordinary that isn't already extraordinary, and 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 that the extraordinary desires to be ordinary because the ordinary is already woven through, uh, threaded through with uh, multiple beings. We also have a term um, orita. I didn't quite get to orita in the book. I will get to it in my second book or in my third book, actually. Um, but the idea of the crossroads is... Um, I did say a thing or two about crossroads, I think. Well, the idea of the crossroads is, is where bodies meet, right? Um, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I've always, I've always lived, even within the city, in uh, a milieu that privileged this idea that there are things around us that we are cradled by the invisible. We are um, supported and subsidized by the things we cannot see. Um, and in a sense, I think we are regaining, those of us living in and gestating in modern settlements, um, as we're witnessing the insurgency of the invisible, like a pandemic or like critters bursting into the scene and disturbing our calculations of the future. We are now learning to we are now learning to social distance. Maybe social distancing is a pre-intentional rite of passage or a ritual, a way of making space for the thing in between, even though we don't name it that. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I love that. You're making me think of all these stories of bears walking through downtowns and that have been happening in the Uh last... uh, Yeah. We should also talk about the mother because even though it's ostensibly a book about father, it's there's it's you know oh, the very yes. first line is "Mama, I don't want to be alone again." And then yes, the, the very end, what you say to your daughter is, "Don't forget about this, and most important, tell them about your mother." Um, yes. and it's such a beautiful piece of the book. Can you say more about the mother? Oh, I mean, yes, you could say more about the mother, but. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, say yes. Say what you'd yes, like to say EJ. about the mother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say um, some, let me start, let me en- enter into this rich question this way that people often ask me, where are you from? And I've, I've developed and cultivated this new habit of saying I'm from the Atlantic Ocean. Um, I'm from the transatlantic, just to give a sense of my migratude. You know, what's her name that? You wrote that book about migratory to forget. Uh, I forget her, her name if she's listening. Um, but to give a sense that we're not from a static place, that we're, we're from movement and we're in movement and we're going to movement. So um, uh, the transatlantic is just this 
rippling diffractive space. It's a middle, if you will, between continents. And I feel that we are, in a sense, from between places. So I like to say now that we are, um, I, I'm from the transatlantic. And I mentioned this because, you know, um, the, the book, yes, though about fatherhood, is about, you know, this tension. And I don't want to portray it as a, du- uh, a binary, but mm-hmm. this tension between uh, mothering or the matrixial web that is the condition for fatherhood, right? Uh, uh, the, it starts, like you say, with mama, and it ends with, uh, you know, focusing on mama. And right, I would, con- I would also say that right in the middle, it's about this material feminism. It's about this, it's, it's noticing that, uh, and, and you would also notice that my wife's um, voice contests everything I say. <laughs> Between every chapter is her, ah, I, is her eye-rolling text, like, nah, forget everything your father said. And I just wanted a book that was about, you know, contesting the phallic stability of things. And that fatherhood is not, you know, uh, is, is, is ecstasy, is external to stasis, uh, you know, is, is ongoing. And that's why I wanted to privilege the tension. Uh, my wife is my life. Um, she's, um, people who have read the book would, would be introduced to her. She's Indian. She's Nigerian. She's Iranian um, or Iranian. Um, and English, and she she's the first person who taught me about um, uh, the uh, queerness of identity. Not by anything she said, but just by showing up. <laughs> she 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 taught me about diffractive presence, and I still learn that from her to this day. She's the anchor of our family, and um, I'm grateful. Without her, this book would not have happened. It's very important to notice that. Yeah. I guess you've hinted you hinted that throughout the whole book about your own father and the the fallacy of the phallic fallacy of the phallic father because he yeah. there's a there's a solidity to your father but also it, um, there's always this sense of impermanence you know the the black hair dye that drains down the sink and that just the edginess of being a diplomat where he was and yeah the yeah. tension fear yeah yeah uh, he was uh, I did. I did live, I, I lived under the shadow of this immaculate um, masculinity that I felt my father perfectly embodied. Um, to say that I've outdone or outraced its, you know, its sensuous effects would be to speak too much. I, I, I think I would acknowledge that this is an ongoing work. It's... It's intergenerational, and I acknowledge my failures. You know, um, we all have been touched by this, you know, this desperate quest for arrival. In my in my case, and in the case of many people who identify as men, it's arriving at a stable masculinity, and and I'm I'm learning to relieve masculinity of that um, toxic tethering to a male body. Um, or to stable categories or, or, you know, or to anything, you know, anything fully articulable. And I'm learning to live in the middle. 
right there, to acknowledge that I'm porous um, and my failures are rich and how the world shows up. And that porousness, that that makes me think to the um, the idea of the ghosts, because that is certain something that moves through the whole book, the hauntings and the yeah. um, the porousness. And I think you say, like, listen to the ghosts, or I think maybe that's advice to your daughter. And, and you even say at the end, I think we will haunt you. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's this, it's like smoke moving through the whole piece. And I think that's really probably a really critical piece of the, that the, sh- the shadows are, are not just like, oh, I sometimes maybe there's, we get stuck in that, you know, the duality again of like, if I just embrace the shadow, I will be whole. Like, no, the shadow is always here. It's always there forever. Mm-hmm. Haunting mm-hmm. your children, haunting you, haunting every mm-hmm. day, haunting going to buy food. And we have to learn to live with hauntings, don't we? Um, because I think ghosts are, are, are poorly portrayed. You know, I can't remember. I think with a Zora, Zora, what's her full name? Thurston? Feel? I, f- I forget. Maybe it's the, it's the evening, my evening brain. But um, uh, she, I think she wrote that ghosts hate new things. So are you talking about the writer, Zora Neale Hurston? Yes. It, yeah. Yeah. There you yeah. go. I got, I got part yes. of it. But my yes, brain couldn't put it ghosts. together. <laughs> she lives with ghosts in her fiction. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh, there you go. So you yes. Ghosts, ghosts hate new things. Um, and, and, and that helped me, you know, it's a good idea to think with, right. That, you know, when we board up a part of a house or supposedly haunted house and there you have the, you know, the scratchings on the wall and the whisperings within it, it, the ghost is the invitation to not be so sure about our, our claims to innovation, right? That or progress, or that we've left this behind, that there are things that still need to be worked with, you know, in in the place, especially in the places that we think are done and completed, that there is a gap there, there are are broken places and openings. Um, Yeah, so this this idea of a haunting is, is useful. I think ghosts teach us that bodies themselves are not as, um, manifest or as uh you know as uh what's the word i'm looking for i can't find it uh, they're not superior that we show up in traces um and to touch the traces is good work to touch the the way that our bodies are disorganized to use Gilles Deleuze, um his term the way our bodies are diasporic and spread out um Maybe that's the invitation of the ghost and the gift of of ghostings. I think um, there's something that you bring up in the book, and we've basically been talking about this, is um, to get away from this idea of saving saving the world, which it seems to be that this mm. is the new form that, you know, it's just work that's thinking about climate change or um, sustainability yeah. just takes the same idea and just, puts it in this idea of saving. And I think you, you really embrace that throughout the book and we're using the word embrace and um, as a, just changing our paradigm and how we think about that. Um, and yeah. I, I think one yeah. piece of your advice to your daughter was hug a, hug a confused stranger. 
Uh-huh. And I think that's an interesting way to think about uh, like a, an action to take or advice. Do you want right. to um, say anything more about this idea that we get stuck in with the saving idea? Saving. Well, salvation and all its eschatological, you know, premises is conservative. It's it's the restoration of the image, right? To use Jungian and Hillmanian um, concepts, it's it's the it, it's 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 very res- restorative in its in its effects. Um, get back to normal, get a vaccine, um, restore human centrality, restore the economy. You know, get jobs, get people good working jobs, and all of that. It 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 kind of reintroduces the same algorithmic uh, dynamics that created and one might say were the conditions of the problem in the first place. I've written elsewhere that justice should always be considered hyphenated. It's not just justice, it's justice, injustice, right? And that in a sense, injustice requires justice to work well. And 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 justice leans on injustice. You know, it's it's not just cops eating donuts. I know that American cinematic trope in the car and wondering, oh gosh, when is a robber going to uh, uh, or something interesting going to happen? Like justice desires action, right? <laughs> right? To validate itself. Um, and so there's this Hegelian. Um, dynamic there. There's this push and pull, this master-slave thing that is going on there um, that keeps on restoring itself. So salvation, I feel, is is a risk, is a risk to take. I'm not saying it's bad or it's evil, but when we push towards salvation, then we are, um, then we lose sight of all the other things. The third way, what I would call the third way, you know, the trickster's root out of the dualism, the breaking open, the breakthrough. So, yeah, salvation often gets in the way of transformation. And and we may be doing ourselves in if we keep with that. It does feel there's, in this time, there's still, there's a, this is a moment of resistance. I just saw, like, a young person just said to me, yes, I'm, I'm vaccinated, I'm healthy, and I'm not going back to work, I'm going away for a year. I'm going to go, I'm going to go see what happens. Like there is a resistance to this idea that we're okay. Get back. (laughs) Even. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's a, we still, there's a rupture happening and there's a lot of potential to resist falling back into the stability. Into old patterns. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the person might go back to work. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but fugitivity does not have to be successful. Just a crack, you know, um, is is worlding in its effects, however temporal. Worlding in its effects. There's a really, um, talking about the book, and I think there's always a thought of, well, no, what now? What? How do we move forward? And there's a, there's reflecting on how you open the story with, with the story of your daughter, she got trapped in the room, and you have to yeah. climb up and to help her, and then 
when you reflect back at the end of the story, the book, you say, um, we will never let you wander behind closed doors again. And I think, can you say mm-hmm. a little more about what that looks like um, and the idea of, yeah, the closed door and opening up, you know, beyond our fences and what that, what that might look like practically, if there's any, especially as a few years after you wrote that, how that's evolved with you as a father, mm-hmm. with a daughter. Well, well, it, it means um, being vigilant about the ways errancy often becomes orthodoxy. And, and this vigilance is not about manning the gates, you know, not exclusively about that. I'm not saying there isn't room for that. But, but it's just to notice that often in resistance, we, we inscribe the very dynamics that we're trying to move away from. Or as some other author put it, that resistance often fails as a gesture of refusal. Um, so it's what I, you know, not allowing Alethea to wander behind closed doors is also our promise to her to not give her, you know, a ready-made God, you know, not to box her into disciplinary, you know, incarcerations, Um you know, or the aspirations of adultism. It's like staying with the awkwardness that children are awkward, you know, (laughs) disturbances of our stability. And and there is something about staying with children that is philosophy in itself. It's not necessarily uh, an imposition of, titles and degrees, but it, it's like there's philosophy, there's work there. And our corporeal assortments and the way we show up in the world and the way we reproduce has given us this gift, you know, of, of, of being with children. And that is an opening. Those are openings. We could choose to save them by putting them in the family way, or we could stay with the trouble of kids. And so this is what my wife and I have been doing. Um, we've been we've been w- vigilant about closed doors in more senses than one. She can open a latch now. There's no trouble with that. Um, and we're hoping that she will continue to open latches, ideological, metaphorical, social, political, that she will learn to see her scene. And so in very, very practical terms, and not that what we're conversing about theoretically isn't already practical, um, but I feel that um, our work, our deepest work, and the work that I thought that was the heart of the book with Alethea is to fail generously, is to, is to learn how to fail, is to learn to be untethered, and to travel like the trickster, to follow failure as a cartographical project, you know, um, to be keen and aware and nervous nervous not in the sense of being afraid but to be alive sensuously alive to um the invitations afoot in the world let me just i would just circumscribe everything i just said with for instance the uh, the noticing by avery gordon who wrote about ghostly matters um i think that's the title of a book and how we're fixated with certain boogeymen, you know, and enemies, capitalism, patriarchy, ageism. 
and and to do that is to risk being stuck ourselves you know we have to learn to notice that uh, our list of enemies you know is also a form of incarceration and so to really move away from our tensions and the focuses and imperatives of contemporary activism we need uh, more than just resistance we need um failure we need we need soft spaces we need daughters we need food and dosa <laughs> i know I'm, I'm going somewhere else i think that is a beautiful sentiment to yeah. hold on fail generously is a really rich idea to hold especially in a post activist time well we have taken a lot of your time and i know your son is waiting for you is there um we could end on that beautiful note is, is there anything else you'd like to add or that things that popped up that you'd like to put into the conversation no it's it's just interesting that you you brought out aspects of the book that I, that weren't even there for me which which reinforces the uh, the redan concept that the author is the the reader is the author right so my what i would say is gratitude nothing wise to say except to be grateful to you for reading the book for for reading that book which was a labor of love um and and thank you for your work thank you for the things you're doing thanks for writing the book thanks for being, writing it so poetically engaging it is it is really like having a sharing a letter with someone over a long period of time so thank you i encourage people to read it if they thank have you. not I am Susan Greylock Yusum, and this is the New Books Network. And we have been speaking um, with Beo Akomalafe about his book, These Wilds Beyond Our Fences Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home. Thank you so much for joining us.